airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you for tuning in today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Miki. And I'm Will. Sherry B is over in Studio CC and let Sherry know that, um, got to let Sherry know mm-hmm. that, you know, caught one of my kids one of our kids just in the nick of time one of those bars of soap she thought it was candy cake or soap uh. <laughs> <Man>, cake <laughs> like, like no, uh, no dear that's cake. soap oh it looks like a piece of cake mm. um no okay don't. <laughs> glad you didn't i'm glad you didn't sneak a piece you know yeah, <laughs> just or, you know anyway but yes. <laughs> they're beautiful soaps beautiful soaps oh and i'm great. glad you got them out of Anyways, my backpack because um, you know they had been there for a minute well uh, in your defense, okay, after, <laughs> even after I made the big stink about it, I still didn't do it on my own. I had to be prompted um, at the sound of the beep. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did get text messages, though. Get the soap out of the backpack. <laughs> hey, did you get the soap out of the backpack? You know, that kind of thing. Right. And so, um, anyways, but yeah, we did get it out, and what a blessing it is. I'm. T- look, I don't, you know, I, for better or for worse, right, <laughs> I am honest, Okay. And, you know, there are some people who just will not say anything if they don't like something. They just, if, you know, if I don't like it, I say, eh, I don't really like it, you know, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, you know, anyways. Yeah. Um, but Sherry soaps are wonderful. Yeah. And that's, I think that's saying something. But the bigger thing is that I'm using them on our son. Like, that's, <laughs> that to me is the biggest statement Sons. that could be made that you would, that's true. That's oh, I forget about the other ones because you bathed them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, getting much use out of oh, those. Oh boy, you're like, yeah, those two still need baths, Miki. I don't right. know because I just, anyways, you're such a great person. <laughs> All right, let's get back to what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, because we have a we have, we have a lot of let's stuff to talk into. about. That's right. There's still so much information to cover. This is part two of From Whence Came Woke. How did we get here um, having this conversation? So many people ask, you know, what is woke? What does that mean? Right. You know, and how is it caught on so, so much and, <laughs> and, and so quickly? And uh, so yesterday we started uh, kind of going back to uh, classical Marxism because mm-hmm. that's where you have to go in order to know how we have gotten to where we are now. You have to take a journey because this journey really of um, philosophies and ideologies and ultimately the desire for a political structure, uh, this is all by design. This has all kind of been, you know, worked and baked into the cake that will take this long march and, and you know, yeah. uh, eventually have the kind of world that we want to live in. If you listen to the show yesterday, it had to go through a few tweaks, you know, um, to make sure that it was able to survive <laughs> uh, right. what was unexpected, which right. is, you know, people's love for God and um, <laughs> people's um, love for their country, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so anyways, uh, I would recommend that you go back and listen to uh, part one of From Whence Came Woke because we're going to pick up from there today and just keep moving on. Yeah. Um, because we, I realized as we ended up the show yesterday, you know, we hadn't even gotten to actual critical race theory. We we're just laying the foundation of basically how we got critical theory. Mm-hmm. And critical race theory is an offshoot of that. In fact, it's it's birthed out of yeah, critical it's like theory. Critical theory um, is like yeah. um, MTV and critical race theory is VET. <laughs> did that just come to you i thought of, well, that's, no, like, I, I, I thought that's about, exactly what it is i thought about that yesterday when you said oh, it was the goodness. black version wow <laughs> yeah. it is that's so funny will that's hilarious that's it listen so look for for all the <laughs> <clears throat> oh, for all man. the people who like myself you need a quick way to explain this to people. Will just gave it to you. There, that you say, honey, <laughs> this is like uh, MTV. You remember? <laughs> and and then in the critical race theory part, that's BET. You remember? <laughs> just do that. That's all you have to do. Oh boy. Anyways, um, boy, 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 that's funny uh, because it's so true. So let's let's just kind of pick up with it. From whence came woke? How do we get to this place where we're having this conversation about woke culture? Mm-hmm. It's infiltrated our schools. Um, it has infiltrated our churches. It's caused great division. Um, it's dividing families. It's causing incredible tensions in our nation. And, and you know, I had to tell you, I was um, I was amazed to see that President Trump was able to do something that some pastors aren't even willing to do. Um, put critical race theory to bed in our institutions. You know what I mean? Like mm. to say, hey, no, we're going to stop the spread of this um, anyways. And maybe a little bit more on that later. But it truly is spreading, as you said yesterday, like gangrene. And it's not even something that um, it's it's not even something that is like at the beginning of the spread. To mm-hmm. In my opinion, in my observation, it is something that has already spread, right? Because it's it's in common communication. Even if you don't use uh, certain academic terms, the sentiments are still there. And so anyway, I'm saying all of that to say that there's a reason that we're talking about it and have been talking about this actually for several years. All right. We've been talking about this for several years because we could see what the enemy was desiring um, and still desires to do with it in the destruction of the church. So yesterday I mentioned uh, Antonio Gramsci and I want to pick up with him because there are convictions that come from him uh, that we still are subjected to today, right? When we talk about things like cultural hegemony, we talk about the dominant culture. Um, all of that comes from Antonio. Um, really, when you read about him, it seems that, and I don't want to always reduce things to like, you know, demonic oppression and all of those things. I don't, Mm -hmm. but when you read about the things that he suffered and his ailments and how he would, you know, have these um, violent spells, even when he was in prison um, where he would just for hours bang his head against a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, I think it's also important to note that Antonio Gramsci grew up fatherless. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he had to take on certain responsibilities in his family. I'm telling you all of these things, they have huge spiritual implications. But anyway, so we were talking about cultural Marxists yesterday at the same time that you have the cultural Marxists in Germany reworking classical Marxism and systematizing cultural terrorism, remember mm-hmm. that term from yesterday, there was, as I'm mentioning now, 
um, there was there was an Italian Marxist and political communist by the name of Antonio Gramsci, who was writing a series of essays while in prison uh, under Mussolini's regime. Like his counterparts, Gramsci was disillusioned with classical Marxism and he was dismayed by the proletariat's inaction. So these, just to say it, you know, I guess in crude terms, just the poor people didn't rise up, yeah. right? And so Gramsci was as upset about that as any other classical Marxist who's trying to kind of reboot and form what we have today, cultural Marxism, and we'll continue on with this discussion. So in his frustration... He wrote copious works on what he called new Marxism, neo-Marxism, right? Which he provided the reason for the failure of the revolution that they expected back uh, during World War One. Remember, we talked about that yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, Gramsci's most popular and widely adopted theory was cultural hegemony. Um, it's also known as ruling by consent. So Gramsci's theory um, asserted that a wealthy, powerful elite maintained control over the lower social classes and project their own ideologies onto those lower classes until those lower classes come to accept those ideologies as normal and even desirable. So the point that he was making is that people who accept what appear to be um, or what appears to be a cultural norm they have accepted that because there is a ruling dominant culture that has set that as normative mm -hmm. and they have been so powerful in their influence that the poor peons among us, right? We, that's us. Okay. We have accepted that as normative and now we've adopted it and we desire it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, why is that important? Because there are several things that are going to really fall into that category as being hegemonic. Okay. Uh, religion. Yeah. OK, uh, form of government, the way we see family, mm. the way we see work and the ethic of work. <laughs> all of these things are going to be what people like Gramsci will say. You only believe that because the dominant culture, the elites have told you to believe that. Yeah. Wow. Now, think about that. And that's where we are now. OK, if you stand against um, the ideas that are inherent to critical race theory. If you resist that, you are only resisting that because you have been conditioned to desire what is in front of you already. Okay. If you're a Christian, um, you only want white Jesus because white Jesus has been presented to you. Mm -hmm. I just want you to think about that. All of these things have built one on top of the other. It's what we are experiencing now is not anything new. All right. It's not anything new at all. So anyway, uh, getting back to Gramsci, Gramsci posited that the ruling class or the dominant culture was only in power because the oppressed gave them that power. Mm. The oppressed, he said, consented to their oppression because essentially they were brainwashed into submission and they lowered their expectations because that's all they had. That's all they ever knew. Right. So in, in other words, that power that the people in power have is given to them by the lower class. So what do we need? We need the lower class to wake up. Hmm. We need those who are uh, being oppressed mm -hmm. by the haves mm -hmm. to wake up and realize again here, here woke, get woke, <laughs> let uh, get up from your slumber in your sleep and realize that the man has his foot on your neck. Mm. All right. So what was Gramsci's remedy? What was his remedy to the sleeping masses who could overthrow the cultural elites, change government, 
um, certainly change religious conviction. All right. Um, he proposed a long march, a long march. One of the thoughts to emerge from Gramsci's more than 30 notebooks and 3,000 pages of <laughs> essays was the need for a long march through the bourgeoisie institutions which secured or protected the hegemony. Mm. All right. So Gramsci blamed bourgeois culture values. OK, so these upper crust cultural values for normalized oppression. All right. He said this dominant culture was rooted. Now, watch this. The dominant culture and what it valued was rooted in both in folklore of both the traditional and religious sort folklore. <laughs> all right. Dominant culture, he said, was protected by institutions like, wait for it, schools, seminaries, <laughs> industries, entertainment and government. Man, come on. The dominant culture. Let me repeat that. OK, the dominant culture, the oppressive culture. All right. Is protected by institutions like schools, seminaries, industries, entertainment and government. Here is a quote from one of his one of his writings wow. from the notebooks, the prison notebooks, as they're called. OK, this is what he said. Quote. The civilized world has been thoroughly saturated with Christianity for 2000 years. Any country grounded in Judeo-Christian values cannot therefore be overthrown until those roots are cut. Mm. But to cut the roots, to change culture, a long march through the institutions is necessary. Only then will power fall into our laps like ripened fruit. Mm. Listen, what we are going through right now was always the aim. It was always the intent. If you think that what we see happening in government, if what we see happening in culture, if what we see happening in our schools... All right. Our higher institutions of learning, our primary schools. Right. If you think that what we see happening now, if you think all of this stuff is accidental. No, the erosion that we are experiencing right now is the erosion that was always proposed. This is what we have to do to break down a society. This is what we we have to destroy those institutions that protect the elite. Notice that consistently. Christianity is a threat. Yeah. All right. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. Just give me Jesus. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Um, we appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And as Unspoken would just give me Jesus. Sherry B is over in Studio CC and we'll aim to get to calls. I'm going to try to get through all of my notes here. We'll get uh, get to calls in the last segment and just to get your response and your take on two days of discussion from whence came woke. Um, <laughs> it's a long journey, right? Hmm. It's not new. It's yep. not new. They've been wicked if, for a long time. 
they've been wicked for a long time, <laughs> a long time. Uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist, who also was disillusioned by the failure of World War II, uh, World War One, to be the catalyst for the revolution that they sought. Um, these um, these uh, classical Marxists, right? And so, in changing up the way that they would um, attack society uh, and certainly attack um, their countries, right? Cultural Marxism was born. We can't just make this a question of economics. It's got to be far deeper than that. Um, people can't have any hope. They can't see any way out. And when you attack people simply down um, economic lines, um, then what happens is people are like, well, you know, I could work harder. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I, I could find a job somewhere else there. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, there's also hope. So you've got to dash all of that mm. um, to achieve your end. Uh, but let me just read the quote that I read as we were going to yeah. the break here. This is yeah. Antonio Gramsci from his prison notebooks. He wrote these notebooks from uh, 1929 to 1935. And um, these these uh, works actually mm -hmm. are heralded by Marxists today, young up and coming. In fact, when I was ordering some of these books a while back, um, you know, for research. Of course. <laughs> That's of it. Course. You know, I, um, I read the comments. I, you know, just out of curiosity, you know, I read the comments of um, some of the people who had purchased these books. And uh, certainly for Antonio Gramsci, you know, these people were like, oh, he's such a hero. This man mm -hmm. was like, you know, oh, my goodness. You know, if we could just all have people read these books, everybody, need, you know, and it's just amazing. And it's not from any place of like I would suggest if you are if you're willing to delve into quote unquote academia um, to combat this, then yes, read it. But if, if you're not strong enough to do that, then don't do it. Right. But these people were suggesting reading the books as like, this is going to help us, you know, in our Mar Marxist aim. Mm. All right. And, and even today, I mean, current reviews. So this is not something that is dead. It's you, we shouldn't listen to this discussion as if watching um, black and white footage. Right. Okay. Um, it's in living color, right? right. <laughs> Beautiful technicolor. I'm, that's a joke. <laughs> Anyways, um, here's Antonio Gramsci from um, one of his prison notebooks. Okay. Um, and there were several entries that he had, uh, as I said before, but he says, uh, he wrote the civilized world has been through, uh, has been thoroughly saturated with Christianity for 2000 years. Any country grounded in Judeo Christian values cannot therefore be overthrown until those roots are cut. Now, let me stop there for a second. Mm -hmm. And by way of just highlighting, this is why we say repeatedly on this show that we must also care about what is happening to the church, what is happening in the church, what is happening with the next generation of the church, because this has huge bearing on our political state in this country. What kind of government that we're going to have? Right. And the cultural Marxists understood this perfectly. Again, Antonio Gramsci, the civilized world has been thoroughly saturated with Christianity for 2000 years. Any country grounded in Judeo Christian values cannot therefore be overthrown until those roots are cut. But to cut the roots, to change culture, a long march through the institutions is necessary. Only then will power fall into our laps like ripened fruit. Again, <laughs> Gramsci in his own words. Socialism, quote, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media 
by transforming the consciousness of society. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> listen. Listen. Hey, it will make you cry back. out. It it will make you Man. cry out because that's what's happening. And that's tell, what and, has happened. And in, so when people are upset, goodness. when people are upset and they say, they say, why are you coming after schools? Mm. Right. Mm. They're incensed. They're angry. Why would you? We need you have to understand. Listen, I'm, I don't make these statements in a vacuum. Right. This, you know, and. I am doing a little bit of research to understand where we are in the culture, but I got to tell you the vast majority of it comes from discernment and, and, and being sensitive to what the spirit of God is saying to the church because God is not silent in 21st century America. God in his mercy, he's still speaking to us, right? man. And and if we would listen, if we would in humility submit ourselves Mm. to the Lord, man, maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe the Lord would spare us some of these things that we're seeing. But as it is, while the Lord speaks, mm-hmm. we turn our ear in another direction. Yep. yep. And we find our hope in other places. But the Lord has always intended to be our hope, Amen. our living hope. Amen. Again, Gramsci, in his own words, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity. <laughs> in the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. But I'm not done. He also wrote this. Before puberty, the child's personality has not yet formed, and it is easier to guide its life and make it acquire specific habits of order, discipline, and work. Why do all of these men... (laughs) recognize Mm -hmm. that in order to change culture, you need changed individuals Mm -hmm. and it's best to change them when they're young. Yep. They understand that. Why? And and so, so now you're going to tell me that these people are smarter than God. (laughs) You're you're going to tell me that the wicked are just excelling and they have a wisdom that God conceals from his people. No, it cannot be. It must be that we just ignore him. That the Lord has already laid out the the parameters for how we are to care for our children, how we are to disciple and train our children. But because we have abdicated our role, we have given that up. Then these men with sinister and wicked motives step in and say, you know what we need to do? We're going to change the culture. We got to get at the children. (laughs) You, You think that it is an accident that drag queens want to read stories to toddlers? Come on now. Come on. Come on. We're not we can't be that dull, people. We can't the Lord does not allow us to be that dull. Come on. You can't walk with the wise and still remain a fool. You're supposed to become wise, right? Mm. But as it is, we we have moved away from God, so now we're left to ourselves. We think if we just get this right person in office, mm-hmm. then this this will change everything. And sometimes the Lord, man, in his mercy. And his care for us, he allows for, quote unquote, your candidate. Let's get him in. All right. And let's see what happens. But no one pays attention, turns around and says, wait a minute. Why is the culture still declining, though? I mean, why why do these people keep we think they're going to do something different on our behalf? And we, the people, continue to be duped. (laughs) The Lord is calling us to do something that he's always called us to do. Adhere to his word. Amen. 
if we adhere to the word of God, we get his results. Listen, these people, these modern cultural Marxists, these neo-Marxists, they are reading this material. They are reading the books. Listen, when when um, when uh, Patrice Cullors says we are mm-hmm. trained Marxists, mm-hmm. don't you think they have manuals? Right. This is they're what they're just, reading. Come on. They're not just pulling this out of a hat. These are their materials. And they're applying this stuff in real time. In real time. And guess what? Successfully. Right. Successfully. And here we are. We have reading materials. Come on. But they go unread. Mm. We've got the book. We know what to do. That's right. God has set us up to win. And yet, you know, we're just kind of like, eh, we don't know. We don't know. Mm. So when we look at neo-Marxism, this new Marxism, cultural Marxism, the question is, how did it make its way from Europe to the United States of America? How did how did we end up? with this virus, right, that has spread <laughs> mm. and come to our country. Well, it's something, it's, it's very interesting, actually, how it happened. Columbia University served, I, I say, as a midwife for cultural Marxism, um, for the birth of cultural Marxism in America. In 1934, George Lukacs, the man I mentioned yesterday, who, again, uh, engaged in what he called cultural terrorism, all right, in Bolshevik Hungary, uh, training kids, uh, desensitizing kids to, you know, sexual norms and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. George Lukacs um, fleeing Nazi Germany along with some of his colleagues, they brought their Marxist school co- concept, the Frankfurt School, which was originally named the Institute for Social Research. They brought that to Columbia University. <laughs> From Columbia University is where critical theory was developed, okay? Coming from Frankfurt to Columbia University, Critical theory was developed. Critical theory is exactly what it sounds like. Okay. It's a framework through which one learns to criticize every institution that we hold dear in America. Mm. Every instance, everything that we once said, this is what makes us distinct. This is what sets us apart in the world. In fact, this is what gave Europeans hope. They're looking over at America. They have hope. They see. So all of those institutions that make for a solid, for a bedrock in our society, critical theory trains its sights on those institutions and says, destroy Mm. family, democracy, self-evident truth, freedom of speech, biblical sexuality, even male leadership. Now, I know I got some Christian feminists who are not going to like that I said that, but I am telling you, God's ways are best. When God says in the scriptures that when you have a husband and a wife, that he has made the husband the head of the home. Watch. He doesn't just say that in sort of a vacuum statement. He gives he get he anchors that in a spiritual example. The, the husband is the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. Mm-hmm. And why we have allowed the world to take that and, and for Christian women to say, well, I do what I want. You know, I, <laughs> can you. Man, can this is all this this is this is all the intent. Mm-hmm. And and there's more I can say. In fact, that'll that'll be my presentation at the Marriage Family and Life Conference. How um this Christian feminism and all of this, how it really has taken a toll on the church, on the family for sure, but on the church as well. Yeah. Man, guys. Th- Man, and 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 just to insert something here. Yeah. That this came over and was imp- implemented at Columbia University. Yeah. And you just look at the history of Columbia University. Yep. 
and and pretty much all of those institutions, you know, those older ones, they were formed to make ministers mm-hmm. by Christians. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you get to a point where it, this can come over to Columbia University and be implemented within that university. Yes. It's like, man, that's ball number one that has yeah. been dropped. There should have been a wall of protection there. Like, OK, we're not going to let this happen here. You know, you, you have to have a weakened state. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have a weakened people. You have to have people who um, don't fear the Lord. Right. Who don't have a desire to honor the Lord, um, who are living for themselves. You have to have a group of people who have this sort of independence. But it is not it, it's an independence that says, yes, even of God. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm independent even of you. Like I don't I don't I don't need anybody but myself. Right. And and I think that is the kind of thing that we began to exalt in the United States of America that weakened us. Man, and I don't want to I don't want to dodge around too much, mm-hmm. you know, but there are spiritual implications for our posture before God as well. Mm. Right. Like the way in our heart we esteem ourselves and our country. And if we put those things above God. Remember, the spread of the gospel is what saved and established this country. But the spreading of the gospel didn't happen because the desire was that the country will will be built up. Right. The spread of the gospel was the result of the desire that men would know God mm-hmm. and that they will know that they will not go to hell. Right. That. Yeah. But but what did God also do is it's much it's, it's similar to Solomon's interaction with God. Okay. Because you have not asked me for all of these things. Right. I am going to give you those things, but I will give you the wisdom that you seek. Right. So because because your desire early on in this country was the proliferation of the gospel, I'm going to also give you some other things. Mm. But Mm. but what what happens? You know, in our folly, we start to exalt the other things. Come on. And and, and you said this this morning, Will, as we were discussing this, and I thought it was Mm -hmm. just such a profound statement. How in the world could we think that we are better than God's chosen people? Right. That he would not judge their wickedness and their rebellion, that we would get to do that and then, you know, just kind of make out like bandits. Yeah. Yeah. So we're seeing the result of, I I believe, repeated warnings from the Lord, Mm -hmm. right, that we should repent. And we've had different revivals, like sparks Mm -hmm. of revival in this country. But I'm telling you, and this is what we've said this before. If you've listened to the show for a long time, probably a lot of what we say is beginning to make more sense. Yeah. Right. If we humble ourselves before the Lord, I am telling you, truly repent for all of the idols that are in our lives. And you know what they are. Some of us have made an idol of our country. Some of us have made an idol of the color of our skin. I'm just going to pause for dramatic effect there. If we repent of those things and turn back to the Lord, humbly submitting ourselves to the Lord, not just because that sounds good to do, but because we believe it is necessary. The Lord will have mercy on us. Listen, there there are times that, you know, you can read the documents of the Lord entering into an agreement with people. And then there are times that you can just clearly see the effects of it. Mm. Hey, God must be... God must be doing something there. Yeah. Because man on his own could not do that. Listen, America falls into that category. Yep. We should not exist as a nation. All right. Got to grab the break and I got to move more quickly if we're going to um, open the (laughs) phone lines. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Stay close.
In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell, let's obey this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. You're listening to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Uh, the topic from whence came woke, and I'm um, doing my best to get through this, but maybe I need to do better. <laughs> I'm Miki, and I'm Will. And it's Anthony Evans with In Christ Alone. Sherry B is over in Studio CC. Will the Great, I'm I'm gonna toss this over to you. Do you <laughs> do you want me to continue on, or do you want me to open the phone lines wow. and get some? <laughs> do you see that? Just because yeah. I don't want. Okay, so um, yeah, what? Which one? Maybe we should open the phone lines because we had well, we had uh, Anna Avery on, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, there may be some people that want to talk about that show, and you know, just as yeah. far as in real time, someone who is going uh, through that type of experience of you know the critical race theory and all this stuff that we're talking mm-hmm. about, and then we had the sure. the show from yesterday that highlighted it and today. So I don't know. I think we should maybe open up the the lines, but you can uh, continue on and tell some calls. No, I think that's wise. And and actually, um, one of the reasons that you listed is one that I was thinking would be the reason that we should open the phone line. So so let's do that. The number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. If you want to call, Sherry B is over in Studio CC and she'll get your call through. I got to tell you, this is what it is when you, I've got in front of me, this is 13 pages of research and presentation and I'm trying to get through it. And just so our listeners know, I'm on page five. <laughs> <laughs> that seems Because so there's commentary like, ah, involved. Well, you know? It's lots of it. And, and guess what? And, and here's the thing too. When I present it, I, I present it the exact same way yeah. because in that moment, it's like, you know, there are so many things that man just have to be driven home. Um, but anyways, all right. So while the phone lines are getting queued up, Um, let me, let me kind of continue on because I really want people to understand that this idea of critical theory that came from the Frankfurt school, um, and was birthed out of Columbia university is, is what was the genesis of critical race theory. And if, in fact, you had, um, liberals in academia who were trying to develop a framework through which to topple American structures, mm-hmm. right? American institutions and black liberal um, academics were a part of this, uh, but they started feeling like, well, hold on a second. Um, there is an element that you guys are not considering in all of your exploration and your versions of wokeness. And it's the color element, right? So within the critical theory um, movement, if you will, on the, and this is at the, at the university level, Mm -hmm. you've got, um, black academics who are saying, wait, you guys need to be critical of what's going on with, with black people as well. But listen, it wasn't just people out in everyday life. It's in the legal system. Yeah. So they're developing a legal framework to say that, America is inherently racist, that the justice system is inherently racist, inherently flawed. Um, and this is, again, and moving forward, that doesn't start to happen until the late 70s, early 80s, right? That's where we start getting critical race theory. And eventually, and here's the amazing thing, critical theory is so good at what it does, right? As far as eating its own and toppling anything that it looks at. Critical theory, and by extension, critical race theory, destroys it's like laser eyes anything it looks at it burns it up 
it's so good at doing it that the black academics actually broke away from the white liberal critical theorists. Hmm. Why? Because critical theory. Because they started saying, ah, see, you guys have privilege. So you get to decide how and when you talk about this. You're not talking about it enough. So we're going to break off. And that's the birth of critical race theory. And I just said that so that at least we said it before we start taking the phone, <laughs> phone calls. Are we ready to go to the phone lines, Will the Great? Let's see. Yeah, we can go to the lines here. Let's go to Monty in Virginia. Hi, Monty. Guys, Merry Christmas. And let me be very brief. I've spent hours in my basement discussing critical race theory with myself because nobody else would want to hear it but Christian radio. There is no <laughs> fact. There is no fact research whatsoever in critical race theory. The only thing that's critical is the Lord Jesus Christ that speaks truth. Mm. Every disease and disorder that's tried to be conquered by medicine and pharmaceuticals always has more side effects than it has facts of healing anything. Only God can heal. Mm -hmm. Your body self-heals. Everything that's being discussed about critical race theory is the devil's concept of why we don't send our kids to Christian teachers. All these, and you know it, all these Christian universities, high schools and colleges, they're all government-run. They allow secular people to teach critical race garbage. It has no basis of truth. Mm. And you people, you two, speak the truth every day with emotions of love through the Lord Jesus Christ. But only God's heart inside you can go tell somebody about truth. And remember, evolution was discussed, what, 100, 150 years ago? Guess what? Mm-hmm. There's no one, not one sentence of truth that evolution even can possibly be proven because to evolve, the monkey would have to disappear because it means change Mm -hmm. of kind, and you know that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is when you do experiments, I've taught every grade from preschool into college. That makes me smart. It means I had a lot of (laughs) adversity or diversity. (laughs) But remember, remember, when we're teaching kids, they want simple fact and truth. They don't need all these. And remember, there's no word in the word theory that has a fact that can be proven, but it has identities. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people before I get too long here, the science that you teach is what is an experiment? It requires only two things. What's the one thing it requires? Do you know? Wait, say that. No, ask the question again. Science, I'm sorry. Ask science. the question for again. You to do, for you to do an experiment, there's two things that must be present in that experiment. Observation. Okay, so you've got to be able to test it and you've got to be able to repeat it, right? Okay, no, go ahead. Well, it goes beyond that. It's it's observation and evidence of proof. When you take science and humanity and you go back to the beginning of time, if a monkey was in the chain link of what we're missing links, then the monkey, like uh, Ray Comfort would say, would have to disappear. And then you'd go into all these prehistoric creatures. But, you know, you think about it. You can talk and talk and talk. But when we don't step forward and bring back Christian education, which, which was horseback, right? The smartest guy was using the preacher with an English uh, translation of the Bible. But we got to go back to basics. And I teach fundamentals in sports. Fundamentals and fun. We're making everything complicated. Mm. Kids just want to have fun and learn truth. They don't need all the garbage. Don't you agree? No, I 
I agree. Yeah, no, I do agree. And, and, and I was absolutely Monty. I was actually flipping through pages. So I apologize that I, I wasn't um, there for your, the last part of your question. You said something that um, made me remember some notes that I'd taken on um, just in researching this whole thing and looking at how the body of Christ has consistently battled against ideologies. And one of them you mentioned, when you talk about evolution, even before that in biology, Christians were battling against this. It, it's sort of like, um, I guess it was the 19th century's rainbow. What do you think about where man came from? Mm. Right. Just like today, people, the, the dawning <laughs> of the rainbow mm -hmm. is sort of like it tells people where you are in culture, like yeah. what you believe right. about human sexuality and human identity. So what you said about where man came from, whether or not man evolved or was created, it was like the 19th century rainbow. Um, mm -hmm. it, it said what you thought and whether or not you were able to be respected in culture. And it's interesting to me that Monty referenced that because science um, was one of those areas where Christians had to wage war. Mm -hmm. Christians had to fight for the authority of scripture. Right. And to say, and we're still intellectuals. Yeah. We believe God and we're still intellectuals, but it didn't stop there. There was something else called higher criticism where the church had to battle the scrutiny of the word of God. And this came out of academia where you have academics who say we have to subject the Bible to something called a higher criticism where we pick it apart. And this made its way into seminaries. Guys, we have been dealing with this for a very long time. The thing is, the church has fought back. And, and, I, and I would say, um, you know, for better, or for worse, some victories, some failures, but the church was fighting back. Today, embarrassingly, it doesn't seem that we've got the fight in us that the, the 19th century church had in, in her. And, and that's a sad thing. Anyway, Monty, thank you for your call. Uh, I just wanted to turn to my notes here because you just really sparked something when you're talking about science. My point is we've been here before mm -hmm. in many different areas. Yeah. All right. Well, the great, where do we go next? Uh, let's go to Tommy in Texas. Hi, Tommy. Hey, how are y'all doing? Good, good. Good to, good to hear from y'all. You know, I love y'all. I'm the pastor that uh, came back and y'all prayed with me. Remember, I didn't have money for turkey dinner. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. And anyway, yes. Uh, you know, this is going to, this is just going to blow y'all away, but and I don't believe in this, but I went to the pharmacy a week before I called and prayed with y'all, and I noticed that my medication had went down. And I said, why did my medication drop $5? We don't know. We don't know. We don't. You, you had to check with him. <laughs> anyway, but that day that I prayed with y'all, the next, uh, I didn't go to, to my mailbox for three days later. Four days later, I went there. There had been a check sitting there for a week from my, from Medicare, a $53 check that gave me money to eat. And wow. it's never oh, happened to me before. Tommy. And it said, uh, we wanted to uh, fulfill your complaint. I didn't complain. I didn't send <laughs> anything in. Yeah. This just happened. Wow. And I wanted to tell y'all that God, God answered our prayer. Praise oh, God. wow. Awesome. Tommy, so, thank you so much. Uh, I know and I love you. I wanted to say one other thing. You know what? I love how you bring everything back to we need to be out there sharing the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Amen. Abraham, the guy that works with y'all, mm -hmm. <laughs> on, on his opening, he always says, you know, it's it must be uncomfortable for you to live as a hypocrite. Well, I say that it must be uncomfortable that you're not doing your job and fulfilling your life as a Christian and telling someone every day about Jesus That's Christ. Right. Yeah. Mm. We yeah. should be out there sharing the word. When, when President Trump got elected... My, one of my pastors said, hey, let me tell you something. This is our chance. Let's get out there and preach and preach and preach mm. and get mm -hmm. these people so next time we vote we won't have a problem. 
And I don't know, I, I know I led 12 or 15, maybe 20 people to the Lord, but I worked my tail off, not because I'm anything, because of him in me. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you right now, if we don't get out there and have great revival, what you're saying, we're in trouble. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Tommy. We're going to have to pay for these sins. Yeah, yeah. Hey, spot I appreciate on. you calling in, Tommy. Thank you so spot much on. for your observations. You know, one of the thing, one of the other things, um, just to his point about our brother Abraham, one of the things he's been saying is, uh, really, I, I would say, uh, raising two questions. One, what have we already done with the liberties that we have? Mm. You know, while we while we still have those liberties, and what will we do different if those liberties are compromised? You know, right. like what what are the things that are going to change? You know, and so I think that cause um, that's a cause for great introspection. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Jerry in Memphis. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Will. Hey, hey. Mickey. I'm a first-time hey, caller this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, hey, I, man, I, you know I could talk to you all for a long time. I'm going to try to go fast. First of all, we, you remember our conference we had back in February, mm-hmm. gospelisenough.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of this stuff you know, that you're talking about, and, and I don't want to refer back to if you guys remember, and I'm sorry, I've got another point. just want to share this real quick. Dr. Kilpatrick, who spoke after you, Miki, uh-huh. he talked about the year 1920, exactly 100 years ago, where there was a lot of Antifa kind of events going on, buildings yes. being blown up, chaos, revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his, your talk, everybody's talk was fantastic, but he gets into a little bit of what you were talking about. Just wanted to throw that out there, gospelisenough.com. In more detail, yes, yes. That's right. No, that's excellent. Thank you so much for that, Jerry. Gospelisenough.com. Gospelisenough.com. Will Mickey, the Great, where do we go talk? next? Oh, no, yeah, yeah go ahead. Go I ahead. didn't know you were still there. I'm sorry. Yeah, one more. No, one more I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mickey. Y'all were probably supposed to drop me then. That was, I just wanted to tell you, you know, my life, CRT impacted me. I, I lost some friends because yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. And then God brought you guys into my life, and now we're to the next chapter. And that mm-hmm. next chapter is we are looking for a school for my daughter, and I'm very concerned. I don't want to spend $200,000 to have somebody undisciple my mm. child mm. and undo everything we've been praying for for 18 years, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a really, there's a deceptive thing in a Bible verse that's helped me with it. The deceptive part is um, when you're looking for a school, you feel like, I mean, they're, they're just throwing these things at you. Oh, look at what we've got for mm-hmm. you. And, you know, you might be able to get this scholarship and you might be able to get right. this. Well, if you think about a, think about a star athlete, mm-hmm. but here's the deceptive part. Once you sign on your your name, you're not in control anymore. You feel like you're in control right. when you're making the decisions. Mm-hmm. But That's once you right. sign, you're you're basically choosing who you're going to submit to for the next four years and what ideas you're going to submit to. Mm-hmm. And I I just want to share this verse with you. I've been studying and reading James, and I came across this verse, and it really helped me uh, with this. It really opened my eyes to this. This verse is James two fourteen. Read it real quick. It says, "Come now, you who say." Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make a profit. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord is willing, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your proud intentions. All such boasting is evil. And I can just see the world tries to get you to think about what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And we need to be asking our kids, where does God want you to go? What does God want you to be? That's amen. good. Amen. Cannot That's echo true. that enough. In fact, recently, Will, you said something to that effect that the Lord will lead and the Lord will call our children in the direction that That's he right. wants them to go. That's right. I'm telling you, a lot of people think that we are a little bit off the rocker. Um, I don't even consider college or university automatic. Yeah. That's not 
we, we that is something the Lord will have to say, hey, send this one there. Right. That's not automatic right. in our mind. Right. So that's some food for thought. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.